Christmas and welcome to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss the Uncanny X-Men number 123, the July 1979 issue on sale April 17th of 1979. And this one's titled, listen, stop me if you've heard it, but this one will kill you. That's way too long of a title. It is indeed. On the cover of this one, we have Arcade's Murder World, which features the character we uh, met last uh, week called Arcade, and he's featured prominently on a large pinball table. Looking down at the X-Men who are playing with Arcade's balls. And watching the X-Men play with Arcade's balls is Spider-Man. It's true. This issue is guest starring the amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. According to the cover, the cover <laughs> I suppose, could be lying. Spider-Man's a creepy dude. He likes to watch people play with other people's balls. <laughs> and man, his spider sense is going off. And did you ever notice his spider sense looks like little sperms? <laughs> Gross, Adam. <laughs> they do. All right. So one thing I wanted to just point out here uh, was that um, I always associated Arcade as a X-Men villain. But I, as we learned last week, I think he originated in a Spider-Man uh, comic book, right? I don't know. We'd have to count up his number of appearances. I, I would guess that it was fair to say that he was both. Okay. Can you do that? Sure. Well, yeah, I think so. I don't know. I mean, I only know him from the X-Men from the few stories that I have read that he's actually appeared in. And, you know, they're generally the same plot line uh, featuring Miss Locke, who captures all of the X-Men or some of the X-Men. And then they go to Murder World, and then... And where is this Murder World, anyway? Somebody should shut this place down. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But no, what I find interesting is that there's a number of video games that feature the X-Men, Arcade, and Spider-Man on the Genesis, Super Nintendo, Game Boy, and then even earlier than that on the Commodore 64, there was X-Men Madness and Murder World. And I just think it's weird that that is the villain that they chose to put in all of those video games. Oh, I suppose it has something to do with Murder World being uh, uh, readily adaptable to a video game. Oh, sure. It's a game within a game. Got it. So then you can have a whole bunch of crazy worlds like buzz saws and robots chasing you around. You don't have to be like, look, it's not a stupid video game. They're, they're actually in Murder World, and anything can happen in Murder World. Exactly. You don't have to be creative at all. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You know, I never even thought about that. The uh, game designers were creatively being lazy. <laughs> totally. I only mention that because uh, uh, I, uh, some of you may have noticed I, I did a X-Men video game review, which some of you have watched. There's more on the way, and eventually these are going to show up on that list, probably just not for like another eight or nine months because they take a lot of time, and I'm, a, I'm really lazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. So let's let's just dive right into this thing, shall we? Let's do it. All right. 
Chris Claremont, John Byrne, Terry Austin produced this thing, aided and abetted by Tom Orzachowski, Glennis Ween, Roger Stern, and Jim Shooter on the letters, colors, editing, and the chiefing. Whoa. And we open with Spider-Man swinging through New York City, headed to a date with Sissy Ironwood, who, as far as I know, is not uh, either of the two women that I associate <laughs> Spider-Man with. I was just going to say, I, I am not familiar with this Sissy Ironwood girl, but apparently, according to Spider-Man, she is a gorgeous gal who really digs me, and he feels miserable because he just paid his taxes and he can only afford Big Macs and fries. But that's all right, because she knows that he's not Mr. Moneybags, and uh, it'll it'll be okay, because he's got a date, and he's swinging through the city. And hey, that couple down there, I know them. It's Colleen Wing and Scott Summers, a.k.a. Cyclops. I love Scott Summers, a.k.a. Cyclops. <laughs> he's my favorite. It's not fair. Like, if Spider-Man knows Cyclops' secret identity, shouldn't Cyclops know Spider-Man's secret identity? Yeah, it, it, it's true. It isn't fair. Hmm. But I still really like this scene because it's like, it's just funny. Spider-Man swings down and says, hey, guys, how you doing? And then uh, Colleen says, well, hello. I haven't seen you since that fracas with Serp Steel Serpent. And Cyclops thinks to himself, and I haven't since the X-Men faced the so-called Lords of Light and Darkness. I think everyone should think and talk like that. <laughs> hey, Jeremy, I haven't talked to you since episode 100 of Danger Room. <laughs> Nor have I, and I don't actually recall liking speaking to you since X-Men number 66. <laughs> Danger Room number 66. So this, uh, just, just my own um, um, redemption or, or, or learnedness. I remember back in the days reading comic books, and it would refer back to MTU, and I'd be like, mutants mutant mutant universe like what is mtu but now that we've been doing our episodes i know that it is marvel team up i never knew that when i was growing up it's totally marvel team up yeah but they, i feel like they cheat when they do this whole shorthand thing like how am i supposed to know it's M what what mtu is sorry buddy <laughs> and is okay so mtu number one is that this lords of light and darkness was that the uh uh the time that spider-man kissed jean gray when they were fighting... No, uh, that was Morbius. Morbius, oh. Spider-Man uh, is passing by, and uh, he dropped in to say hello, and, and he tells them as such. How are, Mist how are Misty Knight and Iron Fist? They still, uh, you know... Misty, or Colleen's like, yep, they're bumping uglies. <laughs> Passionately. And then he, he's like, all right, I gotta go. That's all I wanted to know. <laughs> Darn, still don't have a chance with Misty. Or Iron Fist. <laughs> Or Colleen, apparently. That's very social of Spider-Man to just drop in, ask a couple of questions, and take off again. Yeah. I, I wish I knew Spider-Man so he could do that to me. <laughs> Hell yeah, just drop in. You'd be like, yep, that's my buddy. He just drops in to say hello every now and again. And off he goes. Hey, Adam, you still talking to that Jeremy guy on that podcast? Why, yes, Spider-Man, I sure am. Far out. Gotta go. <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> so as he swings off, he... Uh, doesn't even notice that there is a sanitation truck driving towards Scott and Colleen. Oh, we skipped over something very important. Oops. Uh, Colleen and, and Scott are talking before they are interrupted uh, oh. by Spider-Man. And Scott says, I was thinking about Gene's folks. You're not doing the right voice. Trying to reach them since the X-Men returned to the States. There you go. But so far, no luck. <laughs> So isn't Colleen like, hey? She's like, 
we haven't talked about this yet. <laughs> like we haven't talked about you and me. We we just keep talking about how how stuffy you think you are and Gene's parents. I'm beginning to think that there's not much in this relationship for me. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time that we have seen them actually talk about Gene's death. That is true. This might be the first time that Scott has acknowledged it uh out loud. <laughs> I have to say that Colleen has an amazing rack here. <laughs> yeah, she's a classic uh, Marvel <laughs> lady. Lady. She yeah. she looks like uh, what's her name, Mary Jane Watson. Ah, yes, yep. She's got some killer uh, bell bottoms too. Yes, yep. A lot of people have killer bell bottoms in this issue, as we'll we'll go through and find out. So it turns out that the the, the man in the sanitation truck is wearing an A hat. He's an Avenger. So that's kind of cool that the Avengers are now driving sanitation trucks. But no, I made that joke last episode, and we know that it is in fact not the Avengers. And as the front of the truck shows us a few panels later, uh, Scott's arm blocks some of it, but the last half of it says Cade. So we know this must be Arcade. Well, even above the grill, it says Arcade. (laughs) So it says Arcade all over the place. I didn't see that, but I did notice in the next panel when they, uh, when the garbage truck traps them with a mighty flying, um, which I don't even know how I would describe that. They get trapped. Yes, it's like a giant people vacuum cleaner that comes out of the back of the sanitation truck. It's nearly identical to the one used against Spider-Man in Marvel Team Up number sixty-five, also drawn by John Byrne. Yes, and Spider-Man even a little a moment later says flying. <laughs> well, I've heard that before. <gasps> Arcade! But the thing that I noticed in that panel before we move on mm-hmm. is that this is happening right in front of Doctor Strange's house. I was just going to ask you if that's Doctor Strange's house. But yes, it's it totally, totally is. Totally. Yeah. So the John Byrne and Chris Claremont, they're just having fun right now. They're like, how many cameos can we cram into this thing? Mm-hmm. Well, two, as far as I know. Are there more? Uh, yeah, there. I don't. I don't know that there are more. Okay. <laughs> So uh, they all have code names for one another as well. The guy in the garbage truck, his name is Rover, and he's reporting to the pinball wizard. Mm. Yeah. Should I have thoughts for some some soundtrack music? Yeah, yeah. It might, it might work out pretty well. So Spider-Man recognizes that sound, and uh, he also says, you know, as he thinks about it, he's like, oh, that garbage truck looked pretty familiar. It must be the one that Arcade used to capture Captain Britain and him in Marvel Team Up number 65, which you you referenced last episode. It's interesting. It must be a very unique sound, and it must have happened fairly recently for Spider-Man in order to be able to remember that. Mm-hmm. And he says uh, he's probably grabbed whoever he's after, and I have a nasty feeling I know who it is. Scott and Colleen, they're gone. And there's Colleen's scarf. This looks bad. Arcade could be after the X-Men, Iron Fist, any number, any number of people. Of people. So he decides that he's going to go find a phone so that he can start warning people. And we cut to Lincoln Center. Once upon a time, it was a neighborhood of slum tenements immortalized by the film West Side Story. Things have changed. Now it is a metropolitan opera house where Nightcrawler and Colossus are taking uh, presumably Amanda Sefton and Betsy doesn't have a last name (laughs) out on a date. I got to say, Amanda there, she's got a very, very low-cut dress there. You can see a lot of cleavage. 
Well, what I'm impressed by is the fact that she's dating Nightcrawler who isn't wearing a costume, or he isn't wearing, like, anything to disguise the fact that he's a furry blue freak. Now, when we last saw Amanda and Betsy, wasn't it even in the 90s, issue 90s of the X-Men? It was, yeah, it was, it was, as far as, the last time I remember them is when, that wasn't a classic X-Men episode, was when they were at the Christmas uh, outside in New York City. Yeah. Which was prior to issue 100. Yeah, I think it was like 98. I think it's 98. Um, But anyways, wasn't um, Nightcrawler in his image inducer? Yeah, he was. Okay. So this is very strange that these two women aren't screaming freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess maybe between panels somewhere along the line, Nightcrawler was like, yeah, uh, just so you know, I do not look like a movie star. I look like a furry blue freak with three fingers. <laughs> Und I teleport. Well, as we know, Amanda Sefton really doesn't care, but we don't know that yet. Right. Well, so that's interesting. Yes. It says the panel say this is their first double date with Betsy and Amanda in quite a while. Mm-hmm. So they've had they've been on other. This isn't their first double date. It's just been a while. So maybe so right, all these things happened off panel. Right. Maybe right before this date, when Kurt picked her up, he showed up and he's like, "Um, Amanda, I have something to show you." <laughs> and he did, and she's like, "Oh, interesting." And, Neato. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is there anything else that's parensile about you? <laughs> um, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Well, anyway, so they're, yeah, they're going to go see an opera as part of their double date. Uh, apparently, the professor has his own private box, uh, but it is being refurbished. His own private box, of course, is Lilandra. But um, bump. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> Sorry. I mean, box seat. <laughs> so this woman uh, who introduces herself as Miss Locke says that there's a different box that they will go to. Yes, and she leads them to it and um, closes the door behind them, and suddenly they're inside of a steel box. Yep. Gas fills the room, and Nightcrawler and Colossus are too busy shouting at each other what to do that neither of them actually use their mutant powers, and they both are knocked unconscious. Uh, this Miss Locke, her code name is Dragon Lady, and she's reporting to the Pinball Wizard that the mission is accomplished. We also find out that the private booth that they were being led to is actually the fire exit. All right, I got a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? How do you get led through a fire exit and not realizing that you're not, you're like, we're not really going to a private box, are we? This is kind of leading us somewhere that looks like a... Like, it's it's leading to a stairwell. Miss Locke, the opera appears to be the other way. I do not understand. I know good with directions. I understand. But this does not appear to be the right way. Yes, you're right. And then to see, like, this little cardboard sign that says private booth. Now, it would have, been, it would have made more sense if she was, like, come through this fire exit so that we can get there. Mm. And then they wouldn't have been... <laughs> had anything to suspect i suppose i guess no one here has been to the opera before yeah let's this is oh it's the first time in america let's go see opera (laughs) and so they just assume that whatever the woman tells us we'll just go do it right so it turns out that uh, i don't know who uh 
Oh, I think it's the pinball wizard who is flying the helicopter, who which is attached to the steel box. So somebody flew the steel box up against the fire exit and waited there for Miss Locke to lead the X-Men through the door while the helicopter blades are rotating. Nobody was like, hey, what is that noise I hear? That sounds like a helicopter right outside that door. <laughs> yeah, this is not the best and brightest of the X-Men here. Right. No. And and how long was it sitting there? Nobody was like, we should call the police. Why is that helicopter hanging a, a box right next to the opera house? That doesn't seem right. Well, they timed it so perfectly that it was in and out. Ah, sure, sure. All right. Well, speaking of in and out, uh, Wolverine and Mariko <laughs> oh, get to listen. Just terrible. <laughs> Sorry. I, I'm in a mood today. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Wolverine and Mariko get done with a date. Now, Wolverine looks like he just got done uh, uh, performing at the Grand Ole Opry. Well, yeah, he's he's got those classic cowboy duds. Uh, it's like a nudie suit, but a very a very uh, a relaxed one. It's it's not quite as intense. Did you say a nudie suit? Yeah, that's what those cowboy costumes are called. Oh, really? When when you when you're performing on stage, they're usually really extravagant, and they have like. Uh, crazy colors and uh, patches and stuff okay, like that. Okay. Well, this has got like a tie and a vest and a jacket and it's brown and it looks like it's got bell bottoms too. Well, it fits in with the Wolverine that we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of establishes him as an old-timey sort of fellow. Sure. What I kind of find curious is that last issue, Wolverine wasn't allowed to see Mariko and now they're going on dates. yeah. So I guess they just abandoned that subplot. It's a little abrupt because uh, last issue, Wolverine was like, oh, I'll be back. Count on it. And then apparently he was he came back and they were like, oh, it's you. Oh, Logan. Like, oh, I had my claws already. <laughs> I was going to gut you, pup. <laughs> so he, he heads off. He goes outside and uh, cliche, uh, very in very cliche fashion. Well, he thinks to himself, far flaming out. The more I see Mariko, the more I want to see her. She's like no woman I've ever known. Cripes. She reaches parts of my school I never knew existed. But I, I like that he's doing it under the lamppost there. It's true. Yeah. I'm in love. I don't know. But there's another man with an A hat, and he asks for a light. Wolverine supplies said light and uh, is not very suspicious, because why would you be suspicious? Then he thinks to himself, living day by day was fine for broads like Cracklin' Rosa, or maybe even Jean Grey, but not Mariko Yashida. The Wolverine does not notice a certain garbage truck roaring towards him. Yes, he's blinded by love. Mm, Stupid love. (laughs) It'll blind you every time. His hair looks really goofy in this panel with Mariko. Yeah, it looks very, it's extra pointy. Well, he used some extra uh, uh, hair stuff for his date. Do you think he uses, like, Batman gel? <laughs> I don't know. It's got to be. He he does look like he's got a Batman cowl on, though. <laughs> Meanwhile, at uh, Gray Malkin Lane, the mansion, uh, Sean Cassidy has been reading. Oh, and there's some dialogue here about how secure the mansion is, but maybe it's not so secure. Who knows? The system is virtually foolproof. Or is it? The phone is ringing and Sean is asleep at the fireplace, having been reading Finnegan's Wake. In front of a roaring fire. Glory the phone! I hope it isn't trouble. We've had it pretty easy these past few weeks, getting the mansion on our heads in order. 
I'll be sorry to see our vacation end. So that begs the question, did Scott get a hold of Moira because they needed to get a hold of that uh, that trust fund money? Otherwise, they were going to have to like shut down the mansion. Did that? Uh, I would have to say no. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'd have to agree, but that seemed to be like a big plot point last issue. I have two questions about these two panels. Um, one, what is in the in the fifth panel where Sean is standing up? What is the bring on top of? What is that thing? It looks like a folded over gingerbread man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a really lumpy chair or something. I don't know what it is. It looks like it's on the floor. It looks like it could be like a lazy boy. It's probably a chair. It's like a lazy boy chair, but it's just at a weird perspective. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. And in the next panel, uh, someone is a member of the Merry Mutant Marching or the oh. Merry Marvel Mar- Marching Society. You're right, and it's signed. It's signed by Stan Lee. Indeed. Wow, you're very observant, Adam. Oh yeah, I didn't even notice that. Well, speaking of not noticing things, as Sean goes to answer the phone, he gets shot in the back by what looks like a toothpaste gun. Look <laughs> at that thing. <laughs> it's like a. It's like a tube of toothpaste where the cap's facing the person who's shooting him and the actual, the other side is the gun part. It's really dumb looking, but... Seems the older I get, the less eager I am to play superhero. And yet if I were tired, I think the boredom would drive me crazy. Oh, what's that tingle? (laughs) I wouldn't fret about those problems, Mr. Banshee. If I were you by this time tomorrow night, they'll all be taken care of. Permanently. Is that your game show host? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> Sounds a lot like my Corsair. We got a uh, we got a recommendation from Peter Watson who said that we should do the arcade voice as either one of two things, a talk show or a game show host, not a talk show host, mm-hmm. or uh, Heath Ledger's Joker. Well, so you said you were practicing some Heath Ledger Joker, so lay it on me. Do that same line as Heath Ledger's Joker. The same line? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, okay. Now I'm, now I'm on the spot. <laughs> Now I won't be able to do it. Uh, let's see. What does he? What does he say? I have to start with a. I. I just. I just. No. This isn't going to work out at all. Why so serious? I don't know what Heath Ledger's Joker sounds like. Oh, I, I just want my. I just wanted my phone call. Is that what it is? Kind of. Uh, I'm not really. It's going to take me a little while to get into it, but it's. It's something there's a lot of uh grunts and groaning to it i i don't i don't know this isn't working out very well i'm, I'm not sure if i should keep doing this <laughs> i'm gonna have to watch that movie again because i really don't remember heath ledger's joker i mean i remember heath ledger's joker but i just don't remember the, the voice so much as soon as he made the recommendation the only thing that popped into my head was jack nicholson's joker <laughs> Do you do a Jack Nicholson's Joker? No, but that's what popped into my head. Like if I was going to practice something, it would be that, and it would be a really, really bad Jack Nicholson. So I'm just going to go with the game show host, and we'll we'll see what sticks. I'll keep attempting my horrible Heath Ledger impression and All see right. if I can actually get it to work. So, so meanwhile in the house, Storm is showering because that seems to be what she does when there's no action about, and – uh she she also hears the phone ringing, and she wants Sean to get it, but he's not around, so she's like, oh, it never fails. The thing rings whenever I'm busy. I wish Sean had told me he was leaving. I would have postponed my bath. Yes. But still, I'm come on. Nipple slip. Yes. This is a very <laughs> nipply picture. 
we we get a side perspective of a nipple and a front perspective of another nipple. Uh, fanboys all over the world uh, fangasmed. Yeah, I don't know if like John, if this is John Burns doing or if this is Terry Austin's doing, but somebody was just like, I think forgetting that they were drawing a uh, comic book for children and started going for the adult route, and they're like, oh, better put a, some clothes on this girl. This this comics code oh my gosh this is a very sexy uh storm being shot in the back by a man who says sleepy bye honey child now do you think he says honey child because she's black oh maybe (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's the first thing that came to my mind when he says it i'm like that seems vaguely racist to me It's uh, Arcade who picks up the phone, and it turns out that the person who is calling is, in fact, Spider-Man. Oh. Hello? Thank heaven this is in time. This is Spider-Man. Scott Summers was kidnapped tonight by a crazy assassin for hire named Arcade. I think he may be gunning for the X-Men. You got it, wall crawler. I'm gunning for the X-Men. Trouble is, your warning comes a wee bit too late. And that's when Spider-Man loses all regard for public property and destroys the phone booth. This is a pretty amazing shot. (laughs) No. He just smashes the crap out of the phone booth. No. It's like there was a grenade in there with him. I mean, the thing explodes. (laughs) He's really upset about this. And when I'm done with you, with them, Spidey, I'm coming after you. Bye now. So Spider-Man is next. Yeah. And Spider-Man does not appear in for the rest of the issue. Nope. So in the meantime, it's time for, I guess, the plot to move forward. Cyclops wakes up and he doesn't really know where he is. No, but it turns out that uh, once the lights come on, he is trapped inside of a sphere, as are all of the X-Men. Not just a sphere, Adam, a lucite sphere. Yes, that's, that's true. I didn't feel it was terribly <laughs> important. But, um... My question being, Nightcrawler seems to be awake. Why isn't he teleporting out of this sphere? Well, they never really touch on that, but let's assume that it somehow negates his powers. Sure. There's a teleportation dampening field around his ball. (laughs) Miss Locke is talking to Arcade, saying that they're all awake. So Arcade begins, essentially starts the games. Thank thank you, Miss Locke. Uh, Systems up. Date, Mr. Chambers. Is Mr. Chambers a reoccurring character? Maybe. Because Miss Locke is. Wherever Arcade is, Miss Locke is as well. I did not notice Mr. Chambers in Marvel Team-Up 65 or 66, but I, I, I skimmed through it. So Was Miss Locke there? Yes, she was there. All right. And, uh, well, uh, Mr. Chambers says that all readings are nominal and he can start whenever he's ready. So this is like a real operation with, like, People operating different components of this veritable murder world. Ladies, gentlemen, and children of all ages, uh, Arcade proudly welcomes you to Murder World, where nobody ever survives. Kill the Batman. (laughs) Uh, Say why so serious. Uh, Okay. Uh, Why so? Uh, That's terrible. It's just terrible, Jeremy. (laughs) Why so serious? There you go. Uh, It's bad. It's just bad. (laughs) So uh, as Arcade operates his pinball table, which is a normal-sized pinball table, uh, I think it directly corresponds to the 
life-size pinball table, which contains the X-Men. That's going to be a really big table. Yeah. Like, where does this space, where is he? Like, in this world, where is he? The Island of Murder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what I never really, I mean, I like the concept of Murder World, and I like the concept of arcade and all that sort of stuff, but the logistics of Murder World just don't work. Like, how much money did this whole thing take to put together? Who did he hire to build it for him? Wasn't somebody asking questions like, why are we building a gigantic pinball table filled with death traps? Like, <laughs> I don't think that the union would let us do this. It's, well, it's like the Death Star, you know. <laughs> okay. As long as the checks don't bounce, I'll keep coming to work. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, so the, the life-size balls or the loose sight balls, whatever they are, uh, go bouncing around and, and, and zap the X-Men and generally cause discomfort. Yes. Uh, some, some, some of them get sick according to the panels. So somebody must've puked in his, in his ball, which sucks. That'd be the worst. You're just rolling around in your giant ball and your puke is just slashing all over the place. I really like this panel of the second panel on this page where, with, where you see the silhouettes of all six of the X-Men and they're all like very stylized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very cool. I think, do we give Terry Austin props for that or John Byrne, since they're all black? <laughs> Who knows? Me, John Byrne was like, oh, you fill these in. <laughs> Terry Austin's like, finally, my time to shine. I'm uh, just going to draw some balls, and you just put in whatever you want in them. Is it just me, or does the girl on the back of the pinball table look like a sex doll? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's not where my mind immediately goes, but yeah, I, I see it. Okay. Well, anyways, they uh, as they get bumped and zapped and whatnot, they head towards a, a series of holes, and presumably behind each one of these holes is a different set of death traps. It's true. And so Arcade is uh, continues working the controls, and he's a little bit disappointed in these X-Men because Spider-Man apparently was able to break out of his ball uh, prior to falling. He did, and uh, he also rescued Captain Britain from his ball, and the two of them were able to run around on this pinball top before they got sent to the lower levels where the the different rooms were. So when Captain Britain and Spider-Man were in this, was it the same game board? Uh, I It seems like it, yeah. So then, and, I, and I'll, I'll give more detail as we go, actually. So this th- that means that this thing isn't built to order, as in he's not traveling around and setting up little murder worlds so that it, he can avoid prosecution and the law. Like, this thing is a fixed location somewhere on the planet that doesn't move. I believe at the end of uh, Marvel Team-Up 66, it, Murder World was destroyed, so uh-huh. he had to rebuild it. Okay, all right. So all right. there's that. Okay. All right, so uh, Cyclops, he goes falling to his trap, and his ball shatters with a thump. And he is in a room, a white room with three exits, and he is told that uh, only one of the exits will lead uh, to to is an actual exit. The other two lead to horrible deaths. And um, the minute you open a door or shoot a door open. The wall is going to spring closed, forcing you to go through that door. Yeah. So, so choose, and, and also the the wall is slowly compressing. So choose wisely. 
And then Arcade shuts his mic off and says, Of course, what he doesn't realize is that behind each door is a concrete wall. Sure, there's a way out of that trap, but he won't find it by trusting me. Now for Colossus. So that seems to be Arcade's... Uh, I, I think he's a like quote-unquote man of honor. Like Every trap does have an exit, but you can't trust Arcade. You have to like solve the puzzle yourself. You're right, yeah. right. So, meanwhile, Colossus is in a dark room. There's a chair, and a man comes in who is speaking Russian. I'm not sure why he sits in the chair. I don't know. He sees a chair, and he immediately sits in it. Yeah. He looks he looks very silly sitting in the chair, too. He's very big, and, and it's a very small chair. It's a small wooden chair, which is kind of funny. Uh, and this man, he, he is a... Uh, Colonel Alexei Vazin of the KGB, the Committee for State Security, and uh, apparently he knows all about Colossus and that he is a traitor. You are here, Peter Nikolovich, to answer charges that you are a traitor. What, comrade colonel? Those lights, they are so bright. I, I cannot bear them. Oh, this sudden lack of cooperation, comrade, makes me wonder if perhaps the charges are true. What lack of cooperation is he talking about? I I don't know. I think he's just pushing them, right? Because we're going to find out what happens to Colossus in a little bit. And then Colossus screams, There are six lights! (laughs) There are six lights! And then later on, he's talking to number one, and he's like, For a brief moment, I wanted to say that there were five. Isn't that how that episode went? Or maybe there were five lights. I don't even remember. Uh, It was four or three, but yes. He was seeing, uh, he said at the end that he was actually seeing the number that he was saying there were, but there weren't that many or something like that. Which is actually a ripoff of kind of the subplot in 1984 where they were doing that to the main character there. They were asking him how many lights he saw. And if he didn't give them the answer they wanted, they would zap him or something. Oh, everything has its place. Yes. And then eventually he was like, how many, or was it fingers? I can't remember what it was. Anyways, whatever. Was that a Kardashian torture thing? Therefore, the the Kardashians read 1984? Yes, it was a Kardashian torture thing. The Kardashians are a group of uh, horrible people. The Kardashians (laughs) are aliens. (laughs) Did I say Kardashian? (laughs) You did. Oops. (laughs) I kind of see them all as the same thing. One could argue that they might be aliens as well. <laughs> anyway, elsewhere, uh, in a fun house full of mirrors, we find Wolverine. And if we read my, uh, Marvel Team-Up uh, number 66, we know that these mirrors cast images of of the person that's in this house of mirrors that uh, will turn into robots and attack them. This happened to Captain Britain. That is crazy tech. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know. The three Wolverines that come out of these mirrors uh, remind me of. Did you ever? Did you ever read the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic series? Or the Eastman and Laird, or the Archie series? <laughs> the Eastman and Laird. <laughs> no, I never read either. There's the, an episode or an issue where they face three warped-looking uh, shredders, and there was like a tall, skinny one with claws. And a short, fat one with claws, and then a medium-sized one with claws. And that's what these guys remind me of. And I wonder if Eastman and Laird saw this. Well, when did that Turtles issue come out? Oh, it was in the 80s. Yeah, okay. It might have even been in the early 90s, but it was probably in the late 80s. I wouldn't be surprised. 
they took their inspiration from this. I mean, we we know they read Daredevil because he's in the first issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the robots come after Wolverine. Uh, Wolverine threats them, threatens them to say, "Oh, they got claws. They better know how to use them." Oh, they do, Wolverine. As y'all see, uh, man, I I cannot get this accent. I'm I'm just gonna let you do arcade from now on, and I'll just work on it secretly. <laughs> I'll be ready next issue. Well, the thing is, like, I I applaud your efforts, and I, and I think it works for a character. But if you look at his face here, that face doesn't make the voice that that you're doing. No, it's because I can only do the Heath Ledger. Like, I can't do any of the <laughs> his his more uh, oh jokery Joker uh, kind of happier side. I can only. No, I can't really do any of it, to be honest. <laughs> All right. Well, Arcade says that, uh, that they do, Wolverine, as you'll soon see. Instant androids. I love them, but it's time I change the channels. And he looks in on Nightcrawler, who is apparently at home in the dark until Arcade turns the lights on. We get, uh, I think we're seeing uh, Nightcrawler's hidden in the darkness power again i think so too because it's a black panel you see like a furrowed brow and you see the two yellow eyes so probably the the dialogue here says a fella like him ought to be right at home in the dark so i don't know maybe <clears throat> and that's when the lights go on vast <laughs> at least now i can see where i am not that it does me much good and the he turns out he's in a giant dome and apparently they're filming an episode of Robot Wars because some robots fly out of the side with buzzsaws. Remember Robot Wars? I think the guys that did Robot Wars read this issue and that's where they got their inspiration. And from. they're like, we should come on, guys, when we're older and we've got money, we should do this. And they did. Nightcrawler immediately goes, uh, jumps, teleports up to the ceiling and clings to the ceiling with his his feetsies and uh, for some reason thinks he's safe, but one of the cars drives up behind him and he's not paying attention, and it uh, it looks like it buzzsaws him. Yeah. Um, there are buzzsaws on these cars, and, and that, that looks like it would hurt and possibly kill. Well, so... I guess Nightcrawler's hearing isn't working very well because in the introduction panel of these little uh, buzzsaw cars, one of them makes a very large or a very loud vram noise, and then all of a sudden he can't hear the yellow car coming towards him. It just it doesn't really doesn't make sense. Well, the yellow car is not making a sound effect. Oh, not even a <laughs> noise. <laughs> it's very quiet. It, it's and it's masked by the green cars. Vram. <laughs> okay. Fine. So yes, he gets cut in the back or something, and uh, Arcade assumes that he's cut or bleeding or something because he says that he does not like the sight of blood. So he'll take a look at what Banshee's up to. Well, he gets hit by a buzzsaw. There's no way that he's not <laughs> bleeding. Well, maybe he's got like uh, you know, his lucky Bible in his back, which is protecting him. <laughs> you know, like the cops have when they get shot. Okay. <laughs> I guess we'll find out next issue. Or, or 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 later in this issue, maybe. He is a priest after all, Adam. We just don't know it yet. <laughs> well, in that case, he's dead. <laughs> oh, that's true. So none of this matters anyways. Well, meanwhile, uh, Sean apparently is remembering that his throat hurts because he's clutching it. 
Chris Claremont making sure to carry his, uh, you know, he's telling a story here and he wants to remind you this is where Sean is at this point in his life. Yes, which, which is fine, I guess. No, it's good. It's good. It's character development. Yep. Um, and so he's in like this gray room and he can't really tell where he is, but he, if he could use his sonic scream as kind of like a sonar, then he could kind of figure out like where to go, but he can't. And so that's when a bunch of uh, airplanes come out. One is a Nazi airplane and I'm not sure what the other one is. Um, I don't know. British. Maybe. He, he, Maybe it's another Nazi one. He says, uh, Saints above, Stukas. Yeah, I don't know what a Stuka is. So Irish listeners, uh, sound off. What What's a Stukas? S-T-U-K-A-S. A plane or something. Oh, could be. Sure. This same thing happened to Spider-Man in Marvel Team-Up number 66. Okay. So the so so really, they're just uh, not being very creative. Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So was that a Chris Claremont, John Byrne story, or was it somebody else? It was Chris Claremont and John Byrne. Oh, so they're just doing the same story, which is with different characters. Maybe it was so popular <laughs> that they were like, we've got to bring this guy back. And let's just do the same story again. But with the X-Men, they're hot. Remember how the fans really, really liked this particular room. <laughs> so Banshee's being attacked by these airplanes, which are bombing the whole area around him. And he's like, oh, th- oh, this is weird. It reminds me of the painted backboard of a pinball machine. Without me power, I can't tell what's illusion, what's real. And if I guess wrong, even once, I've had it. I think even Spider-Man realized it was an illusion mm. or had the same thoughts or something like that. So... Arcade, who I guess he likes to watch the buildup, but he doesn't like to watch the death because before anything actually happens to Banshee, he turns the channel to see <laughs> what's going on with Storm. It's not very smart of him. No. Why, uh, Banshee? You want to know where I got these scars? <laughs> and so Storm is on a platform, and uh, Arcade guesses that uh, she might have some claustrophobia. You may recognize this platform and uh, the water underneath it as from Marvel Team-Up number 66. Captain Britain also went through this. Okay. She falls into the... I got kind of lost here. She falls into the water. She falls into the water, and for some reason the uh, the room is designed so that her flying ability doesn't work uh there's some they don't really describe it very well some kind of negative air effect is canceling out my ability to glide on the winds i'm trying to create an updraft but something is fighting me so she's getting sucked towards um looks like a little pinhole Mm -hmm. uh presumably under the water she's getting sucked underwater is she underwater because i I can't she's not she's not underwater yet okay well, so she fires some lightning at the little pinhole trap door or whatever it is, and it was designed to reflect her power. So she gets zapped by twice the amount of power she shot out or something like that. How does that work? That seems to defy the law of physics. Yes. Yes, it does. But, uh, well, maybe uh, Arcade has amplified the room. <laughs> yeah, but how does how does Force return to you at an even stronger field, they say. I, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's comic book. Whatever. I'll survive. Meanwhile, back in Cyclops' room, he's decided that he has overheard uh, arcades talking about how the actual exit is really there, but it's none of the ones that he's been offered. 
He says that he can't shake his instinctive distrust of this arcade character. Gee, I wonder why, Cyclops. <laughs> <laughs> and so he decides that he does not want to play by his game, so he's going to make up his own rules. I'd just be playing his game by his rules. I'll bet my only chance is to break those rules, do the unexpected, starting right now, Zrak. I play by my own rules. I'm a loner. And so Wolverine says he's holding his own, but each time he scrags one of the robots, a replacement comes up. They're working like a team, but then all of a sudden from off panel, we hear a shizkow. Shizkow. And one of the Wolverines explodes into a lot of parts. And it's Cyclops. Psych. I hate to say it, boss, but for once I'm glad to see you. Likewise, Wolverine. You okay? Yup. so now they're together so now they just have to go get the rest of the team and they're headed off but they cyclops sees someone approaching them in the shadows and wolverine says no sweat i got his scent it's crom and then he gets smacked in the face by crom crom is in this issue (laughs) conan must be looking for him cyclops is colossus um, is this the first issue in which Wolverine is talking about picking up scents? Because from no, he in issue one hundred he said that that's where we first got the idea that the android scents were wrong. No, but he never said scent. He said, "Oh, my senses are telling me this is all wrong." Like we got the like we've, to my knowledge, we haven't associate or established that he can pick up scents or smells it's just that he's got heightened senses which obviously can lead to taste sight and and uh smell of course but i i i think that this might be the first time we're actually using the word scent rather than heightened senses could be i think could be. but anyways yes he gets punched by colossus but wait a minute is that cyclops or i mean colossus rather well it's it appears to be colossus's arm but when we turn the page it's colossus Dressed really like Super Mario. <laughs> Has anyone seen a Luigi? <laughs> I got to this a mushroom and we got to get the princess. It's like, this is crazy. That ain't one of our kids' robots. That's really Colossus. No longer am I X-Man, Colossus, a traitor to his motherland and his people. Now I am the proletarian, workers' hero of the Soviet Union. My first mission is to smash the X-Men. Is that, uh, who's on his shirt? Is that Stalin? Uh, that would be Lenin. Lenin. Well, I always get those guys mixed up. And he's got the sickle and hammer, and it says CCCP. And Arcade is, oh, oh boy, this is great. Enjoying yourselves, darling? Miss Amanda, Miss Colleen, Miss Betsy? I sure hope so, because I'm having the time of my life. And the women are trapped in presents with bows. And all you could see is their heads sticking out of the top of the presents. You see, before my brainwashing wears off, I figure Colossus will kill the X-Men or they'll be forced to kill him. Either way, they lose and Arcade wins. Next. He only laughs when I hurt. Dun, dun, dun. You want to know how I got these scars? <laughs> that sounds, sounds pretty good to me. Uh, it's It's so close. I can just... <laughs> you can taste it. I know I can do better. I know I can. Maybe maybe next issue, maybe not. Maybe I should just save the the Joker voice for some other character. I don't know. I don't know. 
Well, that will uh, bring us to uh, the end of issue number 123. 123, it's true. So let's take a look at uh, let's take a look at some letters here. We got a um, we got an iTunes review from Daniel Tudun, who says that he just finished number thirty seven, and says, "OMG, awesome!" That is awesome. That is awesome. We have fifty ratings at at this point, so we are we don't need any more. <laughs> I'll take more. <laughs> we should get like an iTunes badge or something like we got 50 that should mean like we should get t-shirts or something from itunes yeah i agree <laughs> itunes if you're listening send us t-shirts uh we also got a letter from peter watson as we mentioned before where he tells us that the look of jason wingard is based on the character jason king played by the actor peter wingard so it's a combination of jason and peter wingard okay. Okay. Uh, from the 70s. Uh, he is, was in a bunch of other stuff, but that's clearly what they're, they're, they're basing it on. And he suggests that we use Pinball Wizard for the intro or outro to this issue. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe we already have. I don't know yet. And he also suggests the Sesame Street Pinball Tune, which is funny because I, I would have never thought of that. That, that. that is pretty clever, yeah. Yeah. He also tells us where Scornaway is, uh, Stornaway rather. It's uh, off the west coast of Scotland, kind of located where Muir Island is supposed to be located. In the Scottish Hebrides Islands, she gives us convenient pronunciation for. He also corrects me. Uh, last issue, I, I mentioned that Black Tom was Scottish. Uh, he is not, he is Irish. I think I yeah I think I corroborated you on that or yes. or maybe yeah either we either way we were both wrong. He says you wouldn't like it if I called you Canadian now, would you? <laughs> I'd be okay with that. I got no. Problems I'd be with I'd be alright with it too. <laughs> I got nothing wrong, uh, against the Canadians. Everybody loves the Canadians. Exactly. Uh, and then uh, he also talks a little bit about Captain America's shield, and so he says that it's actually not made of adamantium, as we uh, often say. And vibranium and stuff and World War II. But it's actually made from a vibranium steel alloy with an unknown bonding agent. Adamantium did not exist until long after World War II. So I was just doing some research this morning. I mean, really, I just went to Wikipedia and looked up his shield because I was kind of confused about that. And uh, the first iteration of the shield was definitely created with like a steel vibranium and an unknown bonding agent as the creator of the shield, as he was making it fell asleep and like something fell into the shield concoction. And that's why they're unable to recreate it. So blah, 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 that happened. But as it goes through kind of the iterations of his shield, uh, adamantium is definitely mentioned a couple times. So at some point, one of his shields was made out of adamantium. But oh, So he's not using the same shield? He's using different ones? If you look it up, um, yeah, there's a ton of... Well, his first shield looked like a crest, like the 1940s. And then later on, it turned into the circular one. And then apparently, like, uh, one of his shields was forged out of Uru or something like that from Asgard. So, yeah, he's had multiple shields. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it's way more than I thought I would ever know about Captain America. But... Uh, <laughs> We also got a letter from Jake Ibe saying that he went back and listened to the 50th anniversary show and was pleasantly surprised to hear that we met in Canton. 
Oh. Uh, apparently his grandparents live nearby and our stories remind him of visiting his grandparents in the summer. He thinks he thinks that we're about the same age and uh, I guess we'll never know about that. He's in his early 30s, but we're not telling what we are. <laughs> um, he got into the X-Men right around the Inferno storyline. Oh, okay. That's about the time I got out the first time, uh, which was right before you and I had actually met. So my collection goes up to like the end of Inferno and then there's like some holes and then like we started collecting comic books like a few months later and that's where it picks up again. Just when you thought you were out, I pulled you back in. So it's very possible that in Canton I served Chris Ivey's grandparents McDonald's food because – there was only one McDonald's, and oh, well, there was a McDonald's in Potsdam too, wasn't there? Well, yeah, but didn't they live in Canton, or did he say they lived? Well, in he says they lived near Canton. Okay, fair enough. It's still possible. I mean, I'm presuming he's not saying that they lived nearby us because I don't believe we gave our addresses. Well, yeah, but everything in Canton is nearby everything. That's true. It is all, all within walking distance exactly. as well. You can walk from one side of the city to the other side of the city in about 20 minutes. He also brings up with uh, listening to the, the fact that we said that Godzilla and the Transformers and Geo Joe were all part of the Marvel Universe. Yes. He mentions that there is a Spider-Man and Powdered Toast Man uh, crossover. And he sends us a little picture of it. And I have this issue of Ren and Stimpy. So he wonders if Ren and Stimpy are also in the Marvel Universe. They have to be, right? I don't know. I'd have to go back. I have a feeling that Ren and Stimpy aren't actually in this Powdered Toast Man episode. But I'd have to go back and look because I definitely have this issue. Okay. But Powdered Toast Man certainly is. <laughs> we also got a letter from Josh Courier who was uh, reading his little girl a comic book before bed, and he had a great idea for us. Uh, maybe we could do a special featuring our own what-if kind of comic for listeners and illustrate it with our words, like, for example, how did uh, some villains go from being babies to adults? We could uh, <laughs> we'd make that up on our own, he's suggesting, and, and tell, do the same sort of thing, but make it up. I like how he ends the letter. Let's snuggle in front of the fire with a fastball special and find out. <laughs> well, that's the only way you could do it. That's the only way you can really snuggle in front of a fire, too. Is <laughs> with a fastball special. I'm with you, buddy. Uh, maybe we will do that. We, we've got some ideas for stuff floating around there. One of these days, we might actually do them. They have to happen naturally. You can't force them, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, okay. All right, it's classic craptacular time. Well, before we get there, I'd like to thank everybody who did write in and leave us reviews on iTunes and remind you that if you would like to do that, all you need to do is go out to... Uh, what www.facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast uh, where you can like us there and post or send us a message or you can go to www.xmenpodcast.com you can see all of the episodes there leave us a comment uh, see some of the other content that's out there or you can go to the itunes page search for danger room and uh, we'll we'll show up there and you can uh, subscribe to us there or uh, leave us a five-star review 
or you can email us at dangerroom at redcatproductions.com and follow us at dangerroomgo. All true. I can verify all that information. <laughs> can you corroborate it as well? Yes. Good. <laughs> that makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, it is now time for Classic uh, X-Men here. This is Classic X-Men number 29. Uh, I think it's January of 1988, maybe, is the date. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't even care. It does have an 88 in, in the lower left-hand corner. It's signed by Kieran Dwyer and Al Milgram, and it says 88. Yes. This one features a backup story called Motherland, which is written by Chris Claremont and penciled by June Brigman. No more Bolton. Not not in this issue, nope. He's, does he ever come back, he, he John does. Bolton? Spoilers, he does. Yes, he does. He's not done yet. Good, I'm glad, because the art in this one was not terrific. Uh, the arcade's on the cover doing some silly pose. It's like a song and dance routine. It's Inside the front cover, we get Colossus and the mystery KGB guy. Now, the crazy voice you were doing last week would definitely work for this cover. Oh, I, I can't even remember that voice. <laughs> oh. It's showtime! Yeah, that, that, that's good enough. He's got crazy eyes and crazy face. Uh, yes. And so uh, uh, to continue on, Roy Richardson is inking, Joe Rosen is lettering, Glynis Oliver uh, is coloring. And Kieran Dwyer and Al Milgram are in there as well. John Bolton did the back cover. Apparently they were able to get him to do that. He, he read the story and he was like, no, not doing it. <laughs> So the story opens with a lot of text, but basically Storm <laughs> Storm drops off Colossus in Russia to visit his hometown. Yes. Uh, apparently they flew over the pole, so that must have been either sexually charged or very cold. And I'm not sure which. But um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyways, uh, so he drops or she drops him off. They're far away from the Utst Ordinsky Collective, and she wants to know why. And he says kind of like he wants to get reimmaculated with his land, so maybe the walk would be good before he goes home. Storm says, okay, that's cool, little brother. Uh, send me the signal when you want me to pick you up. So, like, where's she going? Home? Yeah, I was kind of wondering that. I shall be waiting. And then he thinks to himself, she truly understands that signal may never come. But if she's waiting, she clearly doesn't understand that. So I guess she must be going back home. It does, I don't know. Like Either that or she's just circling. <laughs> she's, she's circling this entire episode. <laughs> yeah. I wish she'd call me. <laughs> Where's the signal, for God's sakes? So he'd talking about how he likes the X-Men and he's seen a lot of stuff, but uh, life is good here at the Utstortinsky Collective where he belongs. And there's Ilana. Ilana Nikolaevna Rasputina, the loveliest little snowflake of them all. Peter Niklovich, is it really you? You've come home. Wow, that's a good female Russian accent. <laughs> I'm impressed. Thank you. I was I working on it all day. I don't know that I could do female and Russian at the same time. <laughs> so out comes Mama and the Papa, and they're very happy to see Colossus. It's true. Yes. It's been a long time, and they, they make him some delicious dinner, and he immediately shows the drawings that he has been drawing this whole time, and uh, 
tries to explain that I'm no good with the letters, so <laughs> I just drew a lot, and uh, I didn't really like them, so I didn't want to send them to you. So I'm showing them to you now. And uh, Papa is like, these are fantastic beyond belief. This life you've led, it's like something out of the stories I used to tell you and your brother, Mikhail, when you were Lana's age. But which, so, and then Colossus immediately in his mind's eye jumps to the conclusion like, what? He thinks these are stories? <laughs> but he says like this life you've led, it's like something out of the stories. Like, wow. <laughs> well, you know. Maybe Colossus is getting a little away from the language and misunderstanding him. Maybe, maybe his father's dialect has changed a little bit. Yeah, sure, maybe. <laughs> or, or maybe it's just bad writing. Yeah, yeah. Or Colossus is just jet lag from his flight over the poles. I don't know, one of the two. <laughs> no matter how fantastic my life, Papa, my thoughts were never far from you or the Rodina. Is this the first time we're hearing about the Rodina? Yes, I think it is. <laughs> uh, glad that of that. Glad of that. Your Professor Xavier was a mighty persuasive man. Do you think he mind-controlled? That's, that's the feeling I'm getting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he decided he'll take a... Classes will take a, a stroll throughout the collective and look up some friends. Maybe he can find Lysasha. No, it's especially Sasha. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that confused me first, too. But for some reason, the L-Y and especially moves down to the next line, so it looks like Lissasha. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ilana, Ilana, perhaps it's best you take a brother. No, now she turned into an Italian. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I would go with it. <laughs> uh, and then Colossus doesn't know what he did, and Alana takes him to a... What did I say? Something's terribly wrong, and why won't they come right out and tell me? Which is a really good question. Apparently, Sasha's dead, but they're not going to tell him. They're, they're going to have... Uh, Ileana show him by walking him all the way out to the grave. Yeah. That's awful. That's like like giving him this suspense that leads in this horrible discovery. And then he's going to see the grave from a little far away and be like, they're going to start walking towards him. He's going to be like, oh, no, I think I know what's going on here. <laughs> but I, I, I'm too afraid to ask. And Ileana won't tell me. And is my friend dead? Are we going to walk past the grave? I don't know. <laughs> Why won't somebody talk to me? <laughs> Well, do so, people ever not tell you when somebody's dead? No, they're just like, well, P Peter, I got to tell you, your friend Sasha is dead. Sorry. No, instead, they're going to let this nine-year-old girl show Colossus. Killed in action in Afghanistan, so many crosses. Well, this is very timely and politically charged. Not only is it timely, but it's very 80s timely, mm -hmm. which well, all of a sudden we're in the 80s. So, Oh, good point. Good point. It was, it's it's a weird story because like we were so kind of entrenched in the seventies to now just be juxtaposed into the eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little weird. Lanas goes on and uh, well, she gets very protective of Colossus for some reason. I won't let anything hurt you. Yeah. Uh, Not even that tanker that fell over over there that's filled with protein, uh, propane, and it is on fire. Yep. So. Just like what happens in all the classic X-Men stories, dangers never far away from the X-Men. I find it and really then, weird uh, that when Colossus transforms, like his clothes disappear and he's just wearing black Speedos. Yes, he's wearing a black Speedo. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> 
So presumably his clothes burst off the way that they usually do, but apparently he just doesn't have his costume underneath as he usually does, but he does have a convenient black Speedo. Which doesn't burn. No, it's it's made of uh, unstable molecules that do not burn. Yes. So he he spends a very long time lifting this vehicle and carrying it away, and then four whatever. entire panels in which he moves it all the way to the other side of the Umstvordinsky. Yes, and when he returns, he is very hot, but yes. not his shorts. It is not safe to come near me until I have cooled, and so Papa throws a bucket of water on him. Yeah, that's gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not quite. Right, but whatever. Why oh, you're still hot? Don't pick me up, Colossus! <laughs> oh my god, he's burned Alana, his little sister. She's dead. <laughs> no. She picks him up. Everyone's so happy that Colossus has returned and saved the village, like, once again from a mighty vehicle that was out of control or on fire. <laughs> I love it, brother. I love it, brother, when you're shiny and strong like this. I can't wait till I am too. Oh, there was a little uh, precursor to that where Colossus is like, well, if I'm a mutant, then maybe Ilana become a mutant. Right. Imagine that. We know that's not going to happen. No. <laughs> Stupid idea. And this is where the story takes a turn for me for the worse. Because I was kind of enjoying this. This was okay. Yeah. And then it, the next bit happens, and I was just like, ugh. This defies all logic and makes no sense and is stupid. So, Pyotr Nuklevich, you figure a few chief heroics for the home folks can atone for your crimes. No such luck. Traitor! Alyosha? Lord, this isn't the time. Oh, now he's Irish. <laughs> His father <laughs> says this isn't the time or the place. Now the truth comes out. You old man hold... This Afghani, oh, us Afghani in such contempt. So this guy's Afghani? Well, uh, I think Afghani is like people who fought in the Afghanistan war. Okay. Uh, you will welcome back this running dog coward with open arms as though he'd never deserted the Rodina. Ah, and then he falls over because <laughs> he's got no arm and he's missing a leg. Yes, he is a war-torn soldier. Um and, you know, it's, it's typical, basically, you disappeared and we had to fight a war and, and you know, that where did you go to? Where you could have helped us with your amazing powers, uh, but no, you were nowhere to be found. And that's when, uh, in the next page, suddenly the army is all there and they arrest, it's like, where did these people come from? Suddenly the army just shows up and arrests Colossus. I don't know, Adam. I don't know. So this is where I'm reading the story and I'm going like, okay, so maybe this is what happened between the pages in Arcade's pinball table. And this is what drives him to turn into the proletarian. That has, I, I don't think so, Jeremy, but that is, a, that is a good thought. As we continue to read, that will come into question. But at this point, as I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, okay. That's, this is what, like, everything's good. Oh, no, everything's bad. And it's your fault. And you're a traitor. And, and that's why you're going to take your revenge on the X-Men. They are arresting him as a deserter and a traitor to the state and people of the USSR. And get this man some pants, but not a shirt. <laughs> so they take him to a, a gulag. And uh, Aloysius, apparently he comes along with. 
Because he's still like, why? I don't know. Shouldn't he be retired? He's missing some body parts for God. Yeah. Sense. How does he have such sway in the army still? <laughs> I, uh, and how did he organize this whole arrest? I have no idea. Uh, he, I didn't know, says Colossus about the whole Afghani war. And dude's like, what a con, what a convenient ignorance. There are no reports of Afghanistan in the West. I thought it was all American President Reagan cared about that and his precious pet contras. Lana says she took you to Sasha's grave. There's no body there, you know. The accursed Mohadin. May they roast in their Hades. They didn't leave enough of him worth burying. So it's all of a sudden like Chris Claremont got a bug up his ass to be like, this is Reagan's 80s and I'm going to write about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very specific. <laughs> Which then you read that and you're like, wait a minute now. This can't be happening when the whole uh, arcade story is going. Like, where in time is this? Well, this, uh, I mean, they've as you as we were pointing out with the classic X-Men rereads, they eliminated all signs of timeliness from it so yeah. that it could potentially take place in the 80s, despite the fact that clearly everybody's wearing bell bottoms. <laughs> right. Okay. So he says, you know, he, he, the gulag is no place for a person like you. No punishment can fit the prime, but I hope the KGB tries his very best to find something that would meet those needs or something. And I'm going to point out again, they give him a pair of pants, but they don't give him a shirt. Well, this is Russia. Limited resources <laughs> and stuff. I mean. American jeans. You try these on. They're very good. Gorbachev's in power. I mean, they're almost bankrupt, right? I mean, doesn't that happen relatively soon? <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> but this is where Comrade Colonel Vizine, who is the same guy from the arcade story, appears, right? Oh, is it? Yes. Look at his glasses. He's got like the one dark glass and the one light glass, just like the colonel in the arcade story. Oh, that's weird. Exactly. And then I go back to like, wait a minute. Is this is this the guy? Is this part of the whole brainwashing thing? But no, because if you continue reading the story, he doesn't brainwash him at all. <laughs> no. So he takes, he's like, I will take him from here. They drive out to a field. They have a big, long conversation about, like, you know, you couldn't have joined the army anyways because having super-powered people in the armed forces is forbidden by treaty. Which is weird. I, I'd never heard that before. Uh, there's apparently some sort of Marvel Universe stipulation that uh, national agreements that is scrupulously adhered to by all parties concerned is that you can't go into the army. The use of enhanced power beings in the armed forces is specifically and absolutely forbidden by treaty with the Americans. So, but uh, Captain America is immune from that. Well, no, because he's not a part of the army, uh, in current times, well, in the seventies or the eighties, got it. He's a, he's an Avenger. All right. <clears throat> uh, Colossus says he didn't know, and the dude says it isn't exactly something either side broadcasts to the world. So this is new information, everybody. But how do they keep superheroes out of the army? I mean, you know, you end up with people not realizing they have superpowers, or people not knowing about these laws, enlisting. Maybe it's don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. For superpowers. Uh, surprisingly, though, it's one of the rarest international agreements that is scrupulously adhered to by all the blah, 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 which means you'd have to go to work for covert operations for me or someone like me, uh, or you can go back to the X-Men. You're not of the X-Men? 
Not enough. I command the 13th Directorate at Moscow Center. My brief is people like you, groups like yours. What you are capable what you are capable of to determine ultimately whether or not you are a threat to the Rodina. Again, got a pointless uh, got a got a point out that uh Colossus is still shirtless. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> Classes says that he's Russian, and this dude talks, and he talks, and he talks, and he talks, and he basically says, go back to the X-Men. I don't know what's right. I'm not good with words. <laughs> My parents will think of me as a deserter, a traitor. Most likely. By all means, tell them the truth. You're allowed to communicate with them. You just cannot see them. So just tell them all of this stuff in your letters. I'll let it by. It's fine. Is essentially what he says. But I know good with letters. I, <laughs> I already told you that. Perhaps someday they'll even come to believe you. Why wouldn't they believe him? It's their son. But so long as you remain Colossus, Pieter Nikolaevich Rasputin, you can never return to this place. Bid farewell to the farm boys, Sonny. They're a hero now. What? The hardest life of all. You'd best get used to it. Go back to the X-Men, Colossus. That's where you're needed. Where you can best serve your true Rodina. Lad, that's where you belong. So, yep. what was that? It was just a terrible story. We get a pinup of Colossus in his loincloth by John Bolton, which is actually pretty nice. <laughs> John Bolton had a soft spot for Colossus's soft spot. <laughs> I I'm just bamboozled by that story. It was pretty terrible, I have to say, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because the colonel in the story here is Colonel Alexei Vazin of the KGB. Yes. It's the same guy. That throws me for a loop as well. So, whatever. There you go, folks. I got nothing. I, I, I got it just... That story irritated me. You want to know how I got these scars? <laughs> Yes, I, I do, Adam. Go through one of the two stories. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I did some uh, extra reading as per my curriculum. Do it. And um, I did Champions number 17, which is the last issue of Champions. It gets canceled. Oh, no. It starts out with Blob, Eunice, and Lorelai. Are they babies? They are not babies. Damn However... It. Uh, as as you will learn, that comes into play. Um, they are not babies, but they are being attacked by sentinels, and they run to the champions to get help. And um, the champions ultimately help them defeat the sentinels, which are strangely, these sentinels are not quite as deadly as the other ones, but whatever, they're sentinels. And uh, that's when, after they defeat them, uh, Blob tells the story about how uh, we were turned to kids after Magneto blew it against the defenders. But a few months back, Eric the Red restored Magneto to manhood, accidentally restoring us as his ray penetrated our cell. We saw that Magneto ran out on us, and we'd about had it with that whole supervillain stick when the Sentinels attacked. So, so yeah, that's what happened. Oh. Well, they were they were all three of them were in the adjoining cell and Eric the Red's ray penetrated their cell. OK, well, mystery solved. But it turns out that this whole thing is a scheme by the Vanisher who was trying to get uh, the champions to accept uh, the blob Eunice and Lorelai's story about being attacked by the Sentinels. 
But no, the Sentinels were actually... Uh, last time the Vanisher was captured, he was uh, apparently led to some place with sentinels and there were some like unfinished sentinels ever since i awoke on an ob- observation table aboard dr stephen lang's orbital platform after x-men 100 the note says huh. the sheer beauty of the scheme uh, had overwhelmed me i saw that all the functioning sentinels had been destroyed and there were some there were still some under construction for me to complete so i modified their programming to enable them to also attack humans so that they could attack the other champions and uh, to follow the Vanisher's order orders. And, um, and then the Vanisher attempts to escape by vanishing, and Darkstar, one of the uh, champions who controls the Dark Force or something, it's weird. She stops him like halfway vanishing, so half of his body is still there, the other half is wherever he was going. So presumably Vanisher's dead. Oh, well. Bobby says, Lord, you stopped him halfway. Can he have survived the shock? I don't know, Bobby. Oh, hold me. Spoilers, he survives. <laughs> yes. Uh, let's see. The next issue is um, going to take, supposedly it'll take place in the Avengers, but it, it actually doesn't. So I'm not, I'm not, I guess they thought, they were going to continue the champion story in the Avengers, but it wasn't to be. Oh, but it will be continued. Uh, maybe, maybe next episode. I forget. It'll. It's coming though. Okay. Uh, we got Avengers one sixty seven and one sixty eight, which one sixty seven is basically a uh, giant space station appears outside of Earth, and the Avengers have to go investigate. And Shield have rebuilt the space station from X Men. Number one hundred, oh. and they they bring the Avengers uh, up to space uh, in that, and uh, of course there's that whole Guardians of the Galaxy meets Beast, and they immediately fight because that's what heroes do when they meet each other. Mm-hmm. Luckily, the Guardians have a guy named Starhawk, who recognizes with his power is like apparently knowing that Beast is a good guy, <laughs> so that fight ends pretty quickly. This fighting must say cease. I sense he is not evil, except the word of one who knows. And everybody stops fighting. Nice. Uh, apparently they're going after Korvac, who went back in time to this time. The Guardians of the Galaxy are from the future. And they came back in time to stop Korvac, um, who is going to kill Vance Astro, who is a child on Earth. Meanwhile, we cut to a fashion show where... Uh, the Wasp is showing her latest stylings because she's a fashion expert. With the fashion show gets invaded by the porcupine. Remember him? I do remember the porcupine. And he's got henchmen, and the henchmen have nothing to do with being porcupine men. They just have bags on their heads. <laughs> nice. And he is handily defeated by Yellow Jacket and the Wasp and Nighthawk, who all happen to be there. Cool. And uh, Korvac is also there and kidnaps some woman who is one of uh, Janet Van Dyne's, uh, the Wasp's models. The next issue, the Avengers return to uh, Avengers Mansion, where it turns out it's been invaded by Henry Peter Gyrich, who uh, who says, Iron Man, I just strolled into this place through a 12-foot hole in the south wall. It wasn't difficult then to subdue your butler and gain access to everything here in this entire building, including your uh, records, virtually tons of sophisticated classified software, and 
your computers, which are tied to U.S. security network. If I were an enemy agent, I could have left here with a bushel of our nation's most vital secrets. Mm. And um, basically, he's uh, he's he has very high security clearance. The only other person who has the same security clearance as Henry Peter Gyrich is the president. So he's going to be taking over the Avengers from now on. And then he leaves. Okay. I'll be back. Uh, Starhawk leaves to go face Korvac on his own and loses and is, gets killed. But then Korvac bring him, brings him back to life so that the Guardians don't know that uh, they've already lost. And uh, yeah, that, that's all that happens. That's good. The story does not pick up in the next issue. It'll, I guess it'll, I will find out someday. <laughs> it, it'll go wherever it goes. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it goes to the Guardians of the Galaxy. Maybe it goes later in the Avengers. We'll find out. But next, I also read Miss Marvel number 16, which was written by Chris Claremont. And uh, she goes to Avengers Mansion and breaks in because that's what you do at Avengers Mansion because she needs to use their lab because uh, the Fantastic Four are out of town or something. <laughs> Sure. And it was just, that's what she says. And uh, because Tiger Shark has kidnapped Namorita and she needs to develop an underwater serum that will allow her to breathe underwater for a couple of hours. So, of course, she and Beast fight. It was kind of lame. But the curious thing about this, uh, she, she, goes, uh, she's, she goes and saves Namorita from Tiger, Tiger Shark. But in the middle of this issue was a cameo uh, from some an, uh, a woman who we don't know who it is, but I looked it up, and it's the first appearance, uh, a cameo of Mystique. Oh, really? Which is interesting. That is interesting. I did not know that Mystique was part of the Carol Danvers mythology. Uh, really? I know that Rogue was. Oh, well, and you know that Mystique is tied to Rogue. But I didn't realize all that was established this early. Oh, okay. I, I'm sure that the, I'm sure that 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 what ultimately happens wasn't planned, and I'm sure like they're just like, oh, we could do this, we could do this. Oh, let's do that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's well, that's still that's that's pretty interesting. First appearance of Mystique. Nice. And that's that's all I got this for this this issue episode. All right, we'll leave it to Adam to fill in the cracks for us. It's fascinating stuff. I enjoy it. I, yeah, you're gonna have like the most authoritative X Men knowledge. If you can remember it all. Yeah, I'm not going to remember <laughs> any of this stuff. When was Mystique's first appearance? Well, that was Ms. Marvel number 17, of course. 16. 16, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't wait till we get to Avengers Annual number 10. Like, we're going to have to do that one all on its own. I don't know where that fits in with the whole lore, but but I can't wait till we get to that. It's one of my favorite issues. Avengers Annual number 10? Yep. Oh, okay. I Bun don't know that I've read it. Bunch of, bunch of stuff happens in that issue. All right. So, uh, all right. Well, anything else, Adam? No, that, that's it for this week. Well, then, until next time, everybody, the danger room is closed. <laughs> <laughs>